The Poetic Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Poetic Podcast with me, Jay Rosanna. In this episode, we will be having tea with 2021 to 2022 Worcestershire Poet Laureate, Aid Cooper. Hello and welcome. As you join me here, I am preparing to visit the fabulous Handed Cafe in Worcester to meet one of my inspirations, Worcestershire Poet Laureate 21 to 22, Aid Cooper. The day is hot and the drinks will be cold and poetry will be told and somewhere along the line a cake I'm sure will be eaten. I recently took part in Worcestershire Litfest and what an amazing week it was. I loved being back in Worcestershire so much, I've upped and moved here. So without any further ado, let's go through the doors of Hang Cafe and talk poetry. Aid Cooper, some poetry. Yeah, um, I dabbled in rising for some years. Um, and then it was one of these weird things because... I got some life-changing news in about 2017, namely that I've been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And at that point, the shutters just went down for about 18 months. It wasn't that I couldn't, just that I couldn't write anything, but I think that was just while I was trying to process what had happened to me, because um, it has meant some significant changes in my life. After about 18 months, like, Hang on, I feel like picking up a pen. I can write again. <laughs> yeah, so that would have been probably around about the middle of 2018. I start what I consider writing properly <laughs> when I started. I did my first open mic end of 2018, I think. It was a one-off that was being done at the Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Yeah. And it was very lucky to get someone I think we both know very well, Holly Winter Hughes, yes. involved. And she was basically right, yes, you can do this. Because uh, you almost had like my work persona doing that rather than me. So, whereas yeah. this was, you know, you know, me uncut, if you like, <laughs> you know, you know, without, you know, without any props, without a script or anything like that. It's a good job I had some to stand behind because they couldn't see how badly my knees were knocking. <laughs> But I did it, and I haven't looked back since. It's amazing, because when I see you perform, you, you come across as a very natural performer. Thank you. Uh, and, I, and I mean that. I think we. I think the first time I saw you perform was at Sandbikes online Zoom event, possibly could, a few years ago. Could well be, yes. Yeah, and I think the thing that struck me about your poetry at the time, it's, it's very... Honest and it's very uh, everyday observative, but it just comes through as like a raw truth. Um, Thank you, yeah. You seem to write a lot about everyday things. So, yeah. Do you read poetry? Do you absorb it? I do read poetry, um, and the history of me reading poetry is actually. A bit of a road to Damascus conversion. I'm old enough to have done O-levels. I'll put that out there straight away. I, I am a very elderly person. 
And when I did my English Lit O-Level, we did, um, I think it was Chaucer we were doing as poetry. And it was like, what relevance does this have to a 16-year-old person? Then I started doing A-Level English Lit, and we started doing some 20th century poets, people like um, W.A. Jordan, Edwin Muir, we also looked at uh, people like um, Louis McNeese, a bit of Betjeman, and it was like, I can relate to this. And also, around about the same time, people of a certain age, i.e. mine, will remember the uh, the late, great John Peel and his, um, his wonderful late-night radio shows on Radio 1. And about the time that I started doing my A-levels was when he suddenly discovered people like John Cooper Clark and Attila the Stockbroker, yeah. uh, Benjamin Zephaniah. So not only was I reading stuff that thought, okay, this is more relevant, yeah, apart from anything else, I don't need a translation for this. Yeah. Uh, but I was also hearing people like Attila, like John Cooper Clark. Really, from, from that point on, I've always been reading poetry. Predominantly, you know, if you like, contemporary poets. But then I sort of thought, I'm going to stretch myself a little, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. And so I did end up sort of not as far back as Chaucer, for example, but certainly you know, the Romantic poets, so Wordsworth, Coleridge, Keats. I mean, these days, most of my stuff tends to be very contemporary, the stuff I'm reading, and quite often by people I know who've just, you know, who've just published something. <laughs> I think the other thing as well, and this comes in with sort of like the performance thing, is discovering poetry as a performance art, not just as a performer, but actually sitting there and watching it. You know, that, you know, going to poetry gigs in the same way I would have gone to music gigs when I was you know, in my 20s and 30s, for example. I read a lot, I listen a lot, I watch a fair bit on YouTube as well. So. I think the sort of very first attempts, which I think were binned a long, long time ago. <laughs> well, if we use that sort of, you know, that well-worn phrase, sick form poetry. You know, that, like a lot of people, I think that was where I started. Then you, know, you look back at it a few years later and you think, how self-obsessed was I at that point? Exactly. <laughs> and then I think I, I started writing in earnest again, probably around about 20 years ago and I think a lot of it was to do with I had a sort of major career change about 20 years ago I'd been working sort of admin and management civil service local government and such like on a fixed term contract at my what was my last office job for want of a better term and I'd always been interested in mental health and the possibility of working in mental health. So I basically thought, well, you know, I've got qualifications in various things. I'll, I'll go and try it. Uh, and if I don't, you know, I'll give it six weeks. If I don't like it, I'll go back and do what I used to. And it was completely eye-opening. And I, I actually started, well, I'm still working in mental health now. But I started out working in inpatient mental health. And I did that, you know, I said, like I said, I've given myself six weeks. I think it was about... 12 years later I finally got off awards <laughs> and a lot of my writing was that I think was not so much direct reaction or, di or direct 
reporting of you know, what I was seeing, the people I was meeting and the like. But I think a lot of it was inspired by the people, by the situation. That's where, you know, I could trace up the birth of the poetry I'm doing now. I think goes goes back to that time about 20 years ago. I mean, I think if I was to look at some of that stuff from yeah, all those years ago, if I was ever, ever able to find out which box I'd actually, I'd actually put, the, put the stuff in, I think I'd probably think, well, stylistically, you could say more for it, but I think I think I, I would still find those valid now. I mean, there are some of those those uh, pieces that I have sort of reworked. Um, I say reworked, you know, I've taken the original idea I had whenever the original poem was 10 years or whatever. And I thought, well, let's, let's take this idea, let's run with it and come up with, you know, with new pieces inspired by previous work, if you like. So, starting out sixth form poetry. Yeah. And then working in the hospital for mental health is like a shift to observational, um, reflective. Yeah, very, very much so, yeah. Few, if any, people ever saw any of it. So in terms of the written pieces, like, I've always got this thing of, once I've written a piece, I'm not big on editing it until I perform it. Where are you? Where are you on that? Because there's there's a temptation, isn't there, to like make it like to take like a villanelle or to take some. Yeah. Like, you, you see a, a poetry form and you go right. I'm going to write a poetry form. Yeah. Rather than I'm going to write a poem. The stuff I'm writing now tends to be more sort of like free form. I do for you know, formal structures. Some of my poems I've used sort of like a very basic idea of a sonic form, but rather than get hung up on the structure it's a case of okay I can use this I can try I can see if this works in this format if it doesn't I'll do it a different way and when it comes to editing a lot of the stuff I do is stays at first draft stage even when I'm performing it I don't know whether you get this you know you've you've written a poem and you think well it's part way there but it doesn't quite work and sometimes, yeah, I'll do that and I'll, you know, I'll leave it a couple of months maybe and then go back and have a look at it and say, ah, right, if I change that round or if I, if I take that bit out, then it'll work. But that's really all I do in terms of editing. I do not so much edit, but sometimes poems will change slightly when I'm performing them publicly. I mean, especially with some of them, yeah, I've done them, done them so many times. <laughs> it's like... I want to do a bit, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, yeah. I want to do something a little bit different yeah, with it this time. Yeah, no, please tell us the one about the track. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a poem that's going to end up on my tombstone. I can <laughs> see it. <laughs> so I think there's the start, isn't there? That you can start to see that the writing's happening, the right and the writing's sitting in books. So you would like write on this paper, uh, or you sit at a computer, or what, whatever. I, I would say 90% of my stuff is on paper. Some stuff I do end up doing on the phone, but that might well be, you know, if I'm out somewhere and for whatever reason I've actually forgotten to put a notebook in my, yeah, in my bag, yeah, I can always just uh, yeah, use the... Yeah, Use the note or whatever you call it function on the phone. Yeah. Uh, so I've done that a few times. Paper is my preferred way of, of doing it. I think pretty much everything I, I write, certainly all the poems, 
it's actually done in fountain pen. Fountain <laughs> pen. <laughs> yep, I'm definitely showing my age here today. Are you still fountain pen? Oh yeah. <laughs> Going back to something you said at the beginning about my poetry being observational, which. Um, Completely, completely go with that. You know, take that as a massive compliment. And a lot of it might be, you know, that I, I just see something. Because a lot of my poetry is quite not party political, but political, certainly in terms of sort of like human rights and stuff like that. And that might be something you you hear a, an item on uh, on the news, or you, you know, there's a, a report on the uh, on the Guardian while you're online. And so it might be, right, okay, I've got the germ of an idea coming here. May not come straight away, but you, know, you think, hmm, this, I could possibly do something with this. You plant that seed in the back of your mind for a few days and see what grows. Can you remember the first time that you sent something off and thought, I'm going to try it, I'm going to try this? Yes, I can, actually, uh, because um, it's... Um, a poem that um, I'm very pleased with. Mel Woodend, who's the current Staffordshire uh, laureate, um, was actually held open submissions for a volume of um, poetry around dementia uh, to raise money for Alzheimer's Society. Funnily enough, at the, at the time that uh, that happened, I worked for Alzheimer's Society. Uh, but I thought, I'm going to have a go. And I actually used, obviously not in an identifiable way or anything like that, but I was thinking about how, in, with, for a lot of people living with disability, and particularly people living with dementia, people forget the person. They just they just see the the disability, the illness. It's like, well, let's do what I can to redress that. And I just thought of some of the fascinating people I'd worked with, people that you know, a couple of really good friends of mine had also worked with, and obviously, you know, no identifying details, but I thought, well, these stories are absolutely fantastic. People have a life, as, you know, they're not, it's not just dementia, these people have had lives, long and fulfilling lives, and they've done all sorts of weird, wonderful, and incredible things. And let's celebrate that. So that was pretty much the first poem I submitted. It was the first poem I had published as well. I actually ended up performing it on Radio 4 a couple of years ago. Well done. Yeah. That's very hard to do, I <laughs> Well, what the story of that was that um, in the job uh, previous to the one I, I have now, I was doing quite a bit of work up at the Worcestershire Royal Hospital and what I was doing was actually mentoring students to work with people in with dementia. Basically they were going on to wards that weren't specialist dementia wards but were ordinary medical and surgical wards and they were just trying to engage people living with dementia and I, I got to know quite a few of the uh, senior staff up there. And even though I'm not in that job, I'm, yeah, I'm still in touch with quite a few of them. And they, they had um, Dr. Phil Hammond, the DJ and stand-up comedian, uh, did a series, I think it was 2020, I think it was 
yeah, during the first year of lockdown, I think. It was called Dr. Phil's Bedside Manor. And he went round to various hospitals. Um, and he was like, okay, tell me what, you know, tell me what you're doing. Tell me about life, you know, life during COVID. This was about the time I was just becoming the poet in residence for the Worcestershire Chief NHS Trust. And the director of um, patient relations rang up and said, We've got this coming in. Yeah, of course I'm planning it. <laughs> what time's the next bus? <laughs> and so I ended up uh, actually performing the, the, the piece on Radio 4. I still do it sometimes now. I usually introduce it as a medley of my greatest hits. <laughs> So you're writing poetry, mm-hmm. you submitted your poem to a competition, yep. you're, you're helping people through mental health and, and hospitals, and at what point in your mind did you go, I'm going to stand in front of people and read and say, and say my poetry? Because that's a big step. For that something. is an incredibly big step, and... Despite the fact it may not appear like it when I'm up on stage, um, I'm actually quite shy, quite reserved most of the time. <laughs> so the first time, yeah, it was, um, it was a one-off uh, event they were running at Worcester Royal Hospital. And I was very lucky to have um, Hollywood Hughes up there with me and stuff like, yes, you can do this. <laughs> Stop being an idiot. Get up there and just, just say your poems. <laughs> I did that and it was a case of, actually, I do quite like this. And then it was a case of finding various open mics. And, well, the one I really started with, well, not only does the open mic no longer exist, not as a building. <laughs> It used to be at the Arts Workshop, um, and this would have been probably around about 18 or 2019. And that's in Worcester? Yeah, the Arts Workshop in Worcester. Myself, along with another local poet, I'm pretty sure you know, Maria T. We were pretty much the house poets for about a year. (laughs) And so I started there. And then I started branching out as well. I started going to Speakeasy, and then I started going to Dear Listener, run by a um, wonderful, uh, great friend of mine, Charlie Barnes. That's where we met. Right. Dear Listener. Yeah. Uh, you, you know you said it, Charlie yeah. Barnes, yes. Yeah. Yes, you very kind. Let me come on. Oh, yeah. Charlie is absolutely wonderful. I can't sing her praises highly enough. Started uh, with those three. The going back to the poem I was talking about a few moments ago, the, one, the first one that ended up getting published. I was invited to the launch event of that, which was in Stafford Library, and uh, read read the poem in front of about a hundred people. Then a friend of mine who lives in Brighton and who is the singer of a band. They were actually doing a sort of like an all-day event at a local pub, a pub local to him in Brighton. You fancy coming down and doing a set? Yeah, all right. Can I use your floor for the weekend? <laughs> so I ended up um, doing poetry in front of an audience of about 200 old punks, probably very few of whom were entirely sober. <laughs> and I think if you can do that, you can do anything. <laughs> Well, that's a hell of a step, isn't it? From yeah. 
performing at a local poetry night, which you might get a dozen, twenty people to hundred, and then two hundred plus people. How does that feel? I think the the most the thing I was most amazed about, especially the gigging point, was the fact. Well, hang on, they're staying here. They're not going to the bar. What's going on? <laughs> I think that was about the longest set I've ever done as well. So I think, uh, whereas, uh, as you know, with most sort of open mics, it's what, five, ten minutes, something like that. Yeah. That actually gave me about half an hour. And it's like, I think I'd taken about two or three um, books with me. Books, yeah, I, I tend to just fill notebooks with, <laughs> with bones. I know what the first two or three are going to be. And then after that, it's probably going to be just flicking open a page at random and sitting on <laughs> Sometimes that... That brief minute at the end can feel like an hour, can't yes, it? Yes, it can. Very long time, yeah. And unless it's someone who knows your work very, very well and has heard a lot of your stuff before, you're not actually sort of telegraphing, okay, this is the last bit here, folks. <laughs> no, it's a case of, has he stopped? Is he just sort of taking a breath or... Uh, or do we clap that? <laughs> no, it can feel very, very long and very, very scary. You know, yeah, as I said, sometimes you think, well, the poor old audience, they've probably never seen anyone doing poetry before. They're not entirely sure what they're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you start out, you're consuming poetry. You start writing poetry to form, and then you discover observational poetry. You start writing a poem. You eventually submit a poem. Yeah. Get published. Played on Radio 4. You're then going out, braving the world in front of actual real-life humans, yeah. reading your poems, mm. and then suddenly you're doing poetry sets. And then you poet laureate. Yeah. Still not quite sure how that happened. Poet laureate 21 to 22. That's right, yeah. Poet laureate 21 to 22. Now, I've said that, like that was like suddenly you're poet laureate, but I bet that was not a very simple process. How did that happen? In sort of the February or March of that year, the, the Worcestershire Poet Laureate is an annual post. Some of the places you'll get two or three years, ten years. So, for example, um, Casey Bailey in Birmingham, I think he's, he's on a three-year tenure. I think he's just about to start his second year, if I remember. I met Casey recently. Fantastic. Oh, he's superb. About a year ago, I ended up on the same bill as him and, and sort of, yeah, okay, that'll do. <laughs> I've arrived. <laughs> when they put the call out for uh, the submission period ends um, the end of April, uh, what you have to do is to basically submit two poems, one of which is on a theme chosen for the uh, chosen by the judges uh, that year. So the year I. Um, I became poet laureate. The the theme, your theme poem was on change, and in one poem, you've got free choice of uh, whatever part, yeah, whatever you uh, decide to submit. Those are then scrutinised by the the, the judges. Um, shortlist is drawn up. You'll have um, an informal interview. Then at the the start of Silit Fest which is usually the third week in June, I think. The first event is the choosing of the Pilot Laureate. So all the contenders will perform their two pieces. 
have a chance to put forward their their manifesto. You know, what what do they want to do as poet laureate apart you know, apart from write poems? Once all the performers have performed and given their manifesto, the judges retire, and then it's just a case of waiting for the um, you know the proverbial white smoke from the Vatican chimney. <laughs> And it's um, it's interesting because I've seen it now from both sides. I've been the you know I've been the person waiting for the result, and I've been uh, one of the judges as well for, for this, you year. Were the this year. I was oh, I was on the judging panel. Very yeah. stressful. The year uh, twenty twenty June twenty twenty one we were still in one of the lockdowns, so all of us had to do our um, our performances on Zoom, and then your sat there waiting for the judges to um, you know, decide uh, uh, judges to uh, have made their decision and all I can say is that when my name was read out it's a damn good job I was on mute <laughs> <laughs> must have felt pretty good though yeah I think the first thing I said it was um, along the lines of are you sure <laughs> so I was up against some incredibly good Oh, it's that year. And I've been... Right. I've been told since it was one of the, the hardest decisions they, are, they ever had to make because out of the four of us who are, I think they said that for three of us there was literally a cigarette bet- paper between us. How does that impact your life and what sort of year do you have? Because it's a big thing to represent. Absolutely. Poetry thing. I think it was quite a strange year in a lot of ways because we were coming out of the pandemic coming out of lockdowns and so the first few things I did which were on on Zoom which you know, had obviously been you know, our default settings since about March 2020 and then suddenly you start you going out and oh, hang on I'm in a real place with real people Remind me again what I do. <laughs> so there was that readjustment to uh, uh, take account of. The thing I wanted to do, and this was very much part of my manifesto, for want of a better term, was that I wanted to get poetry into places you wouldn't ordinarily find it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you know, you'll find poetry in the, the Swan Theatre or you know, the, the Arts Workshop as it, as it was, and, Places like let's get to places where you wouldn't expect to find it, and I think a lot of the um, the gigs I did uh, as Pirate Laureate pretty much nailed that. Um, the first uh, the first two events I did live were part of the Arches Festival, which is one of the sort of many arts festivals that take place in Woodbridge here. And I was actually going to, um, I went to um, a couple of community centres which were very much suburban areas, things like that. And the sort of places that you wouldn't expect poetry to turn up. And I turned up, I was stood on um, a stage in one case, on the uh, back of a flatbed truck in the, uh, in the other. And people listened. You know, I, don't know where, I don't know how much they enjoyed it. Well, they certainly listened. Um, so that was great. Yeah. We we took poetry 
to the Worcester City Football uh, Ground. And I think it's fair to say you probably wouldn't expect it in the bar of a football ground after, that, after a home game. <laughs> All I can say is, thank God they won. <laughs> he was getting into those different spaces. We did quite a lot of stuff for mental health as well. I've done quite, I've done an event with Out Together, the local LGBT plus organisation. Um, I've done quite a few events and things with the local Amnesty International group. And we did a, um, a fundraiser for the situation in Ukraine. So, uh, and so there is a lot of thinking on your feet. But I think the thing that stands out about this is suddenly you're in a place where people aren't expecting poetry, but also you've got to deal with the mental um, thought process of people who go, I don't do poetry. Now, yeah. I wouldn't. So you're, I think your thing's very accessible because it's more of storytelling in a poetic way. Yeah. Um, so does that help? Or? There is this expectation on you, you know, to just roll out your greatest hits, for want of a better term. Um, and it is trying to balance that. You're trying to um, keep your audience on side, if you like, but also wanting to try some new and different stuff. So, I'll, you know, I'll, if I keep getting that, it's like, all right, I'll do it at the end, but I'm going to do it you know, Hang on a minute, well, I'll just do these two, these two new ones. Yeah, then I'll do one, you know. <laughs> And so you, as Poet Laureate, you wrote the forward to a piece of work, a publication called One That Heard. I did, yes. Uh, How did that come about? Again, very much through being Poet Laureate and the fact that um, I know Holly very, very well. Yep. I've got it here in yeah. front of me. Yes, and uh, not only will you find my um, my introduction, but I think there's five of my poems in there as well. Yes. <laughs> and um, Holly basically got in touch and said, "I'm right. I'm writing this book. I'd l- yeah, I'd love you to be part of it. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah, I'm up for that. Any chance you can do me five poems in an intro? Okay. Been about a fortnight. Okay." <laughs> The prompts there, which were you know, just basically community, because yeah, obviously she told me quite a bit about you know, what she was aiming to do. And it was a case of, right, let's look at the different communities that make up Worcestershire or, or some of them. An acrostic, which for those who don't know is basically... If you re- uh, you write a poem, and if you actually read down the uh, you know the first letter of each line, it spells out a word or phrase. So the first uh, the one I did for that, I mean, each uh, the first letter of each line spells out Worcestershire. But then I looked at other communities. I looked at the um, the sports community and um, you know, football fans and. The poem there is, Do You Remember 1959? In 1959, Worcester City, who always been a long, non-league side as far as I'm aware, uh, knocked uh, Liverpool out of the cup. And um, this is actually where the, the gig at the football ground came from. Uh, once I mentioned that poem to my friend, 
I did a poem about the LGBT uh, foster community in Worcestershire, but I did it from a slightly different perspective. My best friend is gay and came out in around about 1990. So basically rang him up one night and said, right, tell me what it, tell me what it was like coming out in Worcester in about 1990. So that was a community we looked at. I looked at the community, the, uh, the, the street um, I live in. And so it was all looking at all these different diverse communities that make up any county, any town, you know, just trying to celebrate what makes a community a community. What's the best place for people to read Kate poetry? I'm in, including one of the herd, I'm in about four or five anthologies currently. Uh, I will be publishing my first volume of poetry later this year, so that will be my first collection, and that will hopefully be out sort of September, October this year, once I get around to writing it. <laughs> <laughs> and so if people wanted to see you perform your poetry where, where, where do you hang out main ones you can see me at are Dear Listener which is the I want to say third uh, Thursday of every month at Boston Tea Party in Worcester I'm quite often at Speakeasy which is the second Thursday of each month that's, that alternates currently between one month live, one month on Zoom, and we're, we're on Zoom this month. I appear regularly online at Wordcraft, which is a an open mic night run by um, a wonderful poet and really good friend of mine, um, Emily Galvin. It's a, a hybrid event. The In the Flash side, for a better term, takes place in Stoke-on-Trent. But they also have performers uh, coming in by Zoom, so um, I usually Zoom pretty much every month there. I quite often put on uh, events um, myself or with others. So, for example, at the end of this month, on July the 30th, we are putting together um, an, an evening of poetry for women's rights. Uh, and that will take place at the Quaker Meeting House in Worcester on Saturday the 30th of July. Looking forward to that. I think I'm going yep. along to that. Yeah, if, if I remember correctly, you're on the bill. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. So, what advice would you give to people who are starting out? I would say the one thing is don't get sidetracked by form or style or anything like that. Those are the sort of things you can work on later. When you start, it's just getting words on a page or on a screen or however you, you, you like to write. Just get the words down first. If you want to look into formal structures, you know, how to write formal poetry, sonnets, villanelles, all sorts of things like that. There's plenty of books out there which can, uh, can explain that and plenty of courses you can do. But just get the words down, get the emotion and the feelings and what you want to say down on the page. What's the piece of work that you're most proud of? That's an interesting one, actually. I think it would be the first poem I had published. 
which is a piece called Made of Stories. Um, and it's the stories of some of the people I've been privileged to work with who've been living with dementia. So you know, you know what I'm about to ask you? <laughs> I think I can remember it, because I, I, I haven't got it with me, but I'll do my best. So this is called um, Made of Stories. The old squaddy who'd met Elvis, and I have a photo with him still. The woman stood at the bus stop who'd been an extra in the bell. The lonely old guy in his flat, post unnoticed on the map, memory waning feeling bored. He'd helped design Concord. The next door neighbour, quiet, shy, he'd helped the Thunderbird supply. The old man nearing end of life mistakes his daughter for his wife. The wartime pilot, all alone now, if given the chance will tell you how. As well as fighting for the nation, he'd been a guard at the coronation. Everyone has a tale to tell. Some exquisite, some a hell. Times and places that they've been, who they've met, what they've seen. Some tales are too horrific to share. Most ignored by a world that doesn't care. But listen, if you can, please. Because we are all made of stories. Thank you. Oh, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, just to round it out, would you be kind enough to read one of your poems from one of the herd? Of course, yeah. Then we can point people to one of the herd. Uh, you yep. pick anyone. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Okay, so this poem was in uh, one of the herd, a um, a collection of poems about Worcestershire and, the, and Worcestershire's communities, published by um, Bite Poetry Press. And this is a poem called "We Are." We are disparate, but we are united. Our difference does not divide us, it unifies us, all different parts of the one whole. We are different, yes, by age, by faith, by origin, by sex, by sexuality, by gender identity, by ability or disability. But we accept our difference, we relish it, and we care for each other regardless of difference. Let those who seek to divide us be aware we are unity. We are community. Thank you. Oh, bless your heart. Thank no you. worries. And that just leaves me to say thank you very much, Aid, for being the very first guest on the Poetic Podcast. It's been lovely speaking to you. This has been absolutely wonderful, Jay. Thank you so much indeed for having me. Thank you. And with that, thank you so much for joining me on this Poetic Podcast. You can also find my poetry videos on YouTube and TikTok if you search for me, J. Rosanna. And I do hope you will join me here again. My name is J. Rosanna, and this has been The Poetic Podcast. <laughs>